0: Is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio, streaming live
1: on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman
0: and Bob Stelton.
1: Well, it's a pleasure to speak to this man, somebody, Dave, you've been talking about quite a bit. Everybody in the in the world of the NFL knows the GM of the Carolina Panthers, but we know him about, for his time here in Seattle. That's where he made his mark, by God. He's a legend out here, and he is with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Panthers GM Scott Fitterer is with us. Scott, how are you, man? Doing
2: great. How are you guys doing?
1: We're, we're doing great. Uh, you're, you're out there at the Combine. I'm, I'm curious, is this uh, – your, your first combine as a GM, how much different is it, the experience being a GM?
2: Uh, you know, it, it's always different because you have so many different commitments, you know, with media and press conferences and all these different things and meetings with agents. But it's it's a great time because you get to see a lot of your, your old friends. And, um, you know, you learn about a lot about the players that are here. You know, you have a lot of questions that you come in here with, and you're just trying to get a bunch of answers uh, so you can make the best decisions going forward.
0: Yeah. And Scott, sometimes you have to talk to clown radio guys that, uh, you know, are asking you questions. But no, uh, what about your journey? Uh, you know, we're looking at your, your history. Of course, you started off as an area scout for the Giants and then, you know, got in with the Seahawks and everything. That's, uh, when you, when you got named GM, did you kind of look back and, and you started in 1998? You got to be pretty proud about your career.
2: Yeah, I was very fortunate to get in 98 with the Giants. Uh, Started off part time. You know, I just got done playing baseball and started off a really good group of guys back there, a very great organization. And then in uh, 2001, you know, Mike Holmgren was in Seattle, Ted Thompson was here. Actually, John Schneider was here at the time. And when I first came here back in 2001, Schneider was actually going out the door. I think he was going to Washington at the time. And so I got to Seattle, and I actually took over a cell phone. So I had a lot of inter- interesting calls for the first couple of weeks <laughs> on that phone. <laughs> and then uh, I'm, sure you, I'm sure you can imagine. And then yeah. uh, I had 20 great, 20 great years in Seattle, uh, and then I was able to get to uh, Carolina a couple of years ago. And uh, it's been great. It's a great learning uh, experience, a great place to live. And uh, we have great ownership here, and it's been fun.
1: Were you somebody that along the way, whether it was Holmgren or Schneider or anybody else, where you kind of took mental notes of, all right, one day I want to do that job. I want to be a GM, and I like the way they handled that. Or if I were a GM, I probably would have done it this way. Or did you sort of catalog that kind of stuff along the way?
2: Yeah, you know, you're fortunate to be around enough guys like Ernie, of course, in New York, Ted Thompson in uh, Seattle, and then, you know, Scott McLuhan was there at the time. But really the, the growth took place under uh, John Schneider. And the reason that took place is he was so open. You know, there was a very inclusive process, there were no walls, like anytime there's a trade or big decision being made, we were allowed in the room. And you know, John always talks about, Hey, there is no uh you know, university where you go to learn how to be a GM. You know, you have to learn on the job here a little bit. And so he he allowed us to grow and learn with him and you know, whether it's Dan Morgan or you know, Nolan Teasley or Trent Kirshner or Matt Berry, any of those guys back in Seattle or Jasmine moved on like Alonso. John's been a huge influence uh, in our growth.
0: Hey, Scott, so uh, do you, um, the two big things coming up here you got the, the combine, of course, and you're finding out that's more <laughs> a lot of media obligations for you, but uh, you, you have that. I mean, how. how big of a deal is that how big of a deal is the combine you know it used to be called the underwear olympics i think people like it a little bit more now it's getting more popular how do you view uh the combine and its importance
2: yeah it's become a lot more of a media event really over the last probably 10 years um biggest thing you know everybody always talks about the physicals and then is the testing uh you wish you had more time with the players you know you get 18 minute snapshots in the uh, in the formal interviews you might be able to get them down in the atrium or train station. But it's uh, it's just learning about these guys. You have certain questions, like I said, you come in here with that you're trying to get answered. Um, it's a it's a long, hard process. You know, you get up at you're up at six in the morning. You're going to bed at midnight, and whatever you do in between is tiring. And uh, but it, it's fun, and uh, it's you learn so much about these guys, and it, it's it helps set the direction of your organization moving forward.
1: How, how much do you think you're open to having your mind changed on a player? based good or bad based on, because you have all this tape you know what they look like you know what their football speed is you know what their intensity is on the field but maybe maybe they answer a question in a way you didn't expect in a good or bad way uh do, do you think that's you got your mind made up when you get there or do you think it's it's still open to being changed one way or the other based on what you see there or here more importantly that-
2: yeah, I think yeah, I think your mind's always open. Um, obviously, you don't want you know 18 minutes with the player to change everything. Your scout's been working on these players for three or four years, uh, all the information you've gathered. If there is a red flag, okay, it's a continuous process. Okay, let's go out to the pro day. Let's figure out. Let's make these extra calls. You don't want 18 minutes to ruin a guy's you know, future or you make a mistake just because you've heard something really solid about the eye all the way through and something pops up. But sometimes, you know, that red flag is something to investigate, and there might be something there to it. So, you know, it's it, you have to have an open mind and never stop, you know, investigating who the player is.
0: Hey Scott, so quarterback a big deal for for you guys, and same thing with the Seahawks. And uh, just talk a little bit about Geno and and what he accomplished, and then and then the other thing is, you know, how, how much does it mean that you actually know a guy. I mean, you know, people kind of connect the dots of where somebody's gonna go based on, you know, you you know Gino. You've been through all of his growth and everything. Maybe just some comments about what he accomplished and if that means anything that that you know him personally.
2: You know, I, I was around Gino when he when he was the backup for Russell. Uh you know, I, I thought he came out and actually had a absolutely great year this year. His accuracy, the some of the throws he made, the decision making uh, I was really happy for him. I was happy for the Seahawks, too, just the way that all played out. You know, uh, moving on from Russell, I thought Geno did a tremendous job in a really tough situation. And, uh, you know, I think uh, Seattle can uh, really benefit from that. I know they have a big decision to make there, and uh, I have full faith that, that Matt Thomas and, and John Schneider and people make the right decision for the organization.
1: Hey, Scott, something we asked John, who, who's with us every week, and, and as a GM, I imagine this is fun and could be frustrating, and that is sort of deciphering information that's out there. That, you know, as this time approaches the draft, the combine, you always hear sources reporting this, sources reporting that, and a lot of it's fed by, you know, media, people that, that are close to GMs and different people out there, misdirection. It's the big poker game. Is that, is this something that's fun for you, or do you have a hard time deciphering, all right, that's real, oh, that's nonsense? Or what, what do you think of the sort of deception that goes on around this time?
2: There's there's, there's a lot of misinformation. Uh, a lot of it's fed by agents. Some of it's fed by teams. I think what where the really good GMs uh, are, where they make their mark is the relationships they have, the ability to get the accurate information, whether it's through directly to the agent um, and to the player a lot of stuff plays on the media. that's not accurate at all. You know, somebody says something, then, you know, 10 other reporters run with it and then it becomes like fact to the public. And I think behind the scenes, someone like John Schneider has so many good relationships that he he knows what's real, what's BS and, and John will figure it out. And, uh, you know, the one thing he's got such great people skills, uh, he, you know, connects with people. He can get information out of people that a lot of people can't. And, uh, that's what, that's what makes John special. But it, it's definitely, there's a lot of misinformation out there. You can't believe everything that you see or read.
0: Scott, how many phones do you have, and how much time do you spend on the phone? I mean, i got to imagine you've got everybody calling you uh, at, at this time. Is that is that the case? You
2: have just, to have a couple of phone. phones? Okay. <laughs> no, yep. just one phone. Uh, it does need to be charged a couple of times a day, especially certain parts of the year. <laughs> Uh, and there 's a lot of times I get home you know at nighttime, and then you 're on the phone again you, you walk in the house and then you 're on the phone till ten thirty and you know you 're stuck because you have to plug in, and then the TV's on the background, the kids are yelling at each other so there 's that dynamic, but uh yeah you, you do spend a lot of time on the phone
1: now are you somebody that will go to all the pro days of the players you 're interested in, or will you send scouts to some and you 'll go to some personally how do you, How do you divide that up?
2: You know, it's really it's hard because it starts during free agency, a lot of these workouts, and then right after that's the owners' meetings. Um, so there's two short windows so you can really get out and see guys. I know John would always take a time out of the schedule to go see the top quarterbacks year in and year out. I think that's a very smart thing to do. Um, it's just how do you manage that? How does it fit into your schedule? You have to be able to trust your scouts and, and your, your personnel guys to go out and get the information. You can always get the uh, the videotape, but I think when you see a quarterback live, you get to see the arm strength live. That's that's a real benefit when that can happen.
0: Hey Scott, very much a, a, a copycat league, at least from our pers- perspective. What we see is, you know, whoever wins the Super Bowl, okay, what was the formula and everything? I'm just wondering if uh, this Brock Purdy phenomenon, he's Mister Irrelevant, and the way you build your team is that does that make uh, people in the NFL think differently, or is just one year kind of a flash in the pan? How do you uh, how do you handle sort of managing those trends that that go along in the NFL?
2: Yeah, I think the one thing over over time you get to see that the, anytime you have a top rated defense and a you know blue chip quarterback, that's recipe for success and for championships. Uh, in San Francisco's case, and you know uh, other cases around the NFL, you know maybe you build it with just great talent at receiver and a tight end and and the defensive line, you you know, you you invest those resources that you are not spending in quarterback elsewhere. And then you get a really smart guy quarterback. There is a way to play that way. It's uh, you got to hit it just right. Um, It's something that I think every team is probably looking into just because of the cost of quarterbacks. The good quarterbacks now are all 40 plus, you know, the mid tier quarterbacks are probably overpriced at this point. And so there, there's a real, um, uh, there, there's a real study going on around the NFL. What's the right way to do it? If you don't have one of those top six or seven, you know, quarterbacks that makes you a championship caliber team and puts you over the top, okay, why would I go out and pay someone else 25 or 30 million to play mid-level ball? You know, let's mm-hmm. take those resources and put them into, you know, another pass rusher, into a playmaker, receiver, and then play with a really smart quarterback that's your point guard that can deliver the ball at quarterback. I mean that. I think those are all studies that are going on right now.
1: Hey, Scott, we were talking about Geno. You know, obviously, we've been talking about him a lot. But uh, just in terms of hearing rumors, we were just talking about that. And in, in, you know, whether it's uh, you know Derek Carr, whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo, whether it's Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, even guys that are that are not free agents, Justin Fields. You're hearing about oh, this team's interested, or this team could be a good spot for them. We haven't heard a whisper about Geno anywhere but Seattle. Do you? Do you? I kind of looked at it and said, well, maybe there's a hesitation around the league trying to figure out, is this real? Is this fool's gold? Is this who he is moving forward? Was this a one-year blip? How do? You, what do you think, just from your perspective on the outside, do you think there's a, there's a reluctance or a let's wait and see kind of attitude with him for a guy that's got a resume that said one thing for almost 10 years and then this one year out of nowhere happens? You know, I,
2: there's, there's some truth in that. Um, I think – most people probably think that Seattle and Geno would work it out, and uh, they'll figure it out. You know, cooler heads will prevail. And I don't even—I don't mean to say cooler heads because I don't know what's going on there. But um, I think most people think that'll work out. However, um, I, I just don't know. You know, I haven't talked to Geno's guys. I don't I haven't talked to John Schneider about it. We'll just see how it plays out.
0: Hey, Scott, uh, so for you, uh, going into this draft, Seahawks obviously talking a lot about defense and, you know, particularly offensive, defensive line. Is there sort of an emphasis for the Carolina Panthers this year as far as the draft goes?
2: You know, uh, obviously the first thing is quarterback. Uh, But we need some, you know, we need a playmaker, tight end. We need a receiver, uh, you know, an instant separation guy or true vertical threat. And then uh, probably speed a linebacker. Those would be, be our biggest needs. I think we're very fortunate. We have really, you know, really solid defense. We have a very strong offensive line. That's something that, you know, we put a real emphasis into. We have a couple playmakers at running back and quarterback or uh, receiver and uh, running back. Biggest thing now is find that quarterback and they put us over the top in a division that's wide open that doesn't have a, you know, top tier quarterback.
1: What what is your impression of this year's group of quarterbacks? It's it's amazing as time goes on and we get closer to the draft. Some guys will all of a sudden get better in the eyes of others, and can't miss all of a sudden. And you look at their numbers at the college level and go, "Well, they're not, they're not dazzling." You know, Will Levis is a guy that's his numbers don't blow you away, but there's a lot of excitement and hype about him, and it seems like it's only growing. How do you? Is it hard not to get caught up in that? And how do, how do you view just the overall group that's coming out this year?
2: Yeah, you just, you just have to know who you're looking for. How does that person fit your offense? Um, How's that mentality and the makeup of the quarterback? How does that fit your offense? And, you know, I, I can tell you the guys that we've met here, with here, I think we've met with six of them. They've all been really impressive. Sometimes you get a couple of real duds in there. They're just like, oh man, this is not the guy. <laughs> but, uh, you know, these guys were all strong. Um, you know, they're all different styles and different flavors. And we'll just, uh, We've got to figure out what's right for you. What can you work with? You know, is it is it a mobile guy? Is it somebody you need to, you know, get on the move and bootleg and get out of space and throw, or is this a guy that can win from the pocket? I and mean, those are all decisions each team has to make.
1: Well, Scott, we know you're busy out there and we really appreciate you cutting out time to to speak with us. Thank you so much for that. And, and, and especially considering everything you know about Dave Wyman, you still decided to talk to <laughs> us. That's that's a fine gesture on your part and we appreciate it.
2: Well, I got to say, Dave's wife used to beat him every time I'd watch him play tennis out out back on the court. He'd be out there with his headband on and his gray shirt like he was 1984. And he'd be sweating through everything. And he'd be stomping on the court, and we couldn't hear the TV inside the house. So.
0: <laughs> Erroneous. Erroneous. That's why that's a, I moved
2: to Charlotte. <laughs> that's a great visual.
0: I love it. I love it. Thanks so much, Scott. Thanks, Scott.
2: Appreciate you guys having me. Thanks.
1: There you go. Scott Fitterer, the GM of the Carolina Panthers and uh, uh, a keen observer of Dave Wyman's (laughs) tennis game. I like the the headband, the gray shirt, sweating through everything.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I have those wristbands. Those were for and You've you- got a headband. I got the headband. <laughs> Look like uh, John McEnroe out there. That's so good. That's such a such a great visual. <laughs> and he does sound like John Schneider. Yeah, we had people I texting not in. Noticed that. Yeah. You for- guys well, I think it was Lefco Was that you that brought it up to me? And I was like, eh. and you told me I'm too close to it. And I think I think so. Yeah. Just- but yeah, now you can hear it. Kind of like uh Justin Hollander and Jerry DePoto.
1: Yeah, we had a couple of people text in, one saying, you can't convince me that's not John. And then the last one that just came in said, wow, I thought that was John for a minute.
0: Yeah. So
1: he does, it's not, I think Hollander and DePoto are, are much more similar, but mm. you can hear it. Yeah, I could just hear John in that when I was listening to it when we were talking to him. I was like, yeah, he, you definitely hear that. It's the cadence or just, I don't know, something about it. Very, very similar. But good guy in a, in a unique position out there. It's got to be kind of fun. You know, I'm sure he's... Been to a million, you know, combines and things like that in a different capacity, different role, but now he's the man out there having these meetings.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to look up his real quick, just look up his, um, you know, his history as far as, you know, where he was and what he did. But he started out with the Giants in 98 as just an area scout, you know, and then, you know, he goes to the Seahawks in 2001 as just a, a scout, you know, scouring mm. the country for about 10 years and then. You know, director of college scouting, co-director of player personnel. So yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how many, how many of these guys that uh, develop underneath uh, John Schneider. But I, I liked everything he had to say. I mean, it was it was interesting. You asked him about uh, you know what, how do you build your team? Like what's most important? And he said, you know, uh, top end defense and and a really good quarterback.
1: Yeah, talking um, about the Brock Purdy thing, and yeah. you know, you can, you can get away with that. You, you you talked about the guy being a point guard. You know, yeah. basically just being the guy out there. And I don't know, is that another way of calling him a game manager?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. I mean, I think the really good point guards know when to shoot, though, you know, and when when to pass it off. So maybe it's not entirely that way, but, yeah, maybe. And I think the thing he emphasized there was you got to have some really good pieces around him. Yeah.
1: Really good. And then, you know, brought up the idea, hey, we're not – We're hearing everything about every other quarterback, including quarterbacks that aren't free agents, Justin Fields and and Aaron Rodgers, and not a whisper about Geno. Is that because people are kind of in a wait and see? And he's kind of said, well, yeah, I I think there's some truth to that. So it's interesting to hear that from an outside, even though he knows Geno and has been here, just being a year on the outside, that maybe there's some hesitation around the league in terms of, we're not sure if that's who he is completely. We need to see more before we're going to go, $40 $40 million a year, or 35 a year, whatever whatever that number is going to end up being.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, as far as uh, the, the combine goes, you know, just uh, f- for those guys, I, I wonder if it's just more of a hassle. I was t- saying earlier I think they have fun out there, yeah. but probably not too much time. And for the GMs, they've, they've got lots of uh, – Lots of media. By the way, we're going to have Schneider on tomorrow, of course, at uh, at four o'clock. But uh, we're going to say you sound just like Scott Fitterer. Yeah. <laughs> First thing, most most urgent question to yeah. ask him:
1: say he sounds like him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the two hundred six says, "See Dave, if you would have taken that job with the Saints as a scout, you'd probably be a GM by now and
0: not dealing with Roberto." <laughs> <laughs> I am in the right place, I'm where I need to be, but wow, what a great listener, our two o six there. He remembers me telling that story, but yeah i I did interview with the Saints, and you know what it was, Bob. It was a lot of time sitting in a room looking at phil what do you think where do you think you would have been
1: had you taken that job? I know as a family guy it would have been tough with kids yeah. and everything, but just hypothetically had you what year was that? that was two thousand four two thousand four yeah, so you're almost twenty years later what do you? I wonder what – you might be a candidate for a GM. I don't know
0: that. I mean, you know, look, that's the, the talent. I think more than anything, like, I love football. But you know what I found out, Bob? I really love playing football. So, you know, that – and, you know, this is kind of a perfect blend for me because we get to do other sports and then just, you know, the, you still have the connection. I love talking to anybody that's involved with the team, whether it's, you know, the coaches, the GM, the players. I just – that gives me enough. But, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to sit there and say, well, if I put my time in, I would have been a GM. But I think you have to be wired a certain way. I yeah. mean, you have to just absolutely love that stuff.
1: Well, and if you're a family guy, you've got to have understanding – you know, yeah. partners Sibling in and, your life, yeah. children, or your wife. You, they, you know, I th- that's a that's a rough gig. You're, maybe you're moving yeah. around a lot, and you're you're not home a lot. That's just very demanding. Uh, by the way, the sea the bass from Puyallup says you've told that story so many times over the years. <laughs> that's
0: another person who's been. I listening. love you, man. I love sea bass. Is that his name? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I realistically, let's say I've told it five times. I've been on this show for twelve years. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for listening. Seabass. Seabass. And then uh
1: kick his c- ass, Seabass. Two oh six says based on how he loved Cody Barton, his evaluation would have gotten him out of the league. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been your last days at GM. Oh huh?
0: man, two oh six. That you know it hurts. But it's really funny. It's really funny. We saved that for Friday, man. Yeah. Come on. That's really good. Well, <laughs> well done. Pretty solid. Well done, 206.
1: Pretty solid. Pretty solid. But, yeah, it's it's interesting to talk to a GM, and, and they're very guarded. There's only so much you can – especially they're there at the Combine. We, we talked to him after he got done with the car wash, as we call it in the business, where mm. you were literally going from one media outlet to another to another to another, and they're just all in a row. Yeah. So, you know, cool of him to do it because I'm sure he's sick of talking at this yeah. point. But you you can hear how kind of guarded they're not going to give you a ton of detail out there because it is the big poker game. Mm-hmm. Everybody's playing poker out there. Right. And he talked about, you know, the well, you got to trust some of your sources and John's got some great sources. But there's stuff out there, you know, is BS. And mm-hmm. but it's them. He even confirmed. It. Yeah leaking stuff to the media to for misdirection. Yeah. That's I I love that stuff. The idea of that, I don't know why I love it. It just it's like watching a movie like, all right, here's what we're going to say to yeah. we're going to say this to Jay Glazer. Hey Jay, we're really interested in this guy or hey, we we're thinking about trading this guy. When the, the none of it's true. But they know it's gonna get out there and other teams are gonna bite on it or they're hoping they will. I just I love that stuff.
0: Yeah, I've never really thought about it that way. You're right. It's it's like one of those uh, it's like one of those movies or shows that we watch where I have to have Shannon explain everything to me. Yeah. It's like, well, wait, where'd that guy come from? Why is he in there? how yeah. so did that guy end up on second? I don't get it. All right. Uh, if you missed any
1: of our conversation with Scott Fitterer or anything from the show, you can go to the podcast page after the show, SeattleSports.com. Just click on our picture and And it'll be right there waiting for you. But to make everybody happy here, especially Wyman, especially Lefco, click subscribe. Makes them really happy. Makes their day. I think you know, do something good. You see that Bob has even—he's just
0: given up on trying to catch us, Mike. Yeah, he I going to catch
1: us. No, I, he hasn't given up yet.
0: I, I got you a he's lulling
1: you into yeah. a false. Sense he's lulling him. me see, he's, right now,
0: just like all the deception you just talked about around the <laughs> draft. Right. I'm spreading yep. misinformation. Bob,
1: yeah. Dave's <laughs> like, oh, it's done. Not it's doing done. anymore. I don't have yeah, to worry about, to about do it anymore. Then, then I'm gonna zing him. Not so fast. All yeah. right, there could be concerns around another draft prospect projected to go to the Seahawks. We'll get into who that is and what it's about next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.
0: Wyman Wyman and Bob. Bob.
2: Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports
0: and the Seattle Sports app.
1: Once again, thanks to Scott Fitterer who joined us in the last segment. Now the GM of the Carolina Panthers, formerly in the Seahawks front office. A good conversation with him. If you just tuned in, that will be available on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. Meanwhile, going through all these mock drafts, which we'll get into in the 4 o'clock hour, but I would say the name that is most commonly associated with the Seahawks and all of them is is Tyree Wilson, edge rusher. Well, I saw the article last night about him not doing drills at the Combine. Here's Tom Pelissero talking about the reasons.
2: Harry Wilson from Texas Tech, a very intriguing edge player. He's got a wingspan like Giannis. He's a big physical specimen. He's not ready yet to participate here. He dealt with a fractured foot, two broken metatarsals. He was in a boot for a couple of months. Got out of the boot in late January, but really only about two weeks ago was able to ramp up, go full weight-bearing, and resume his normal workouts. He might do the bench press here because... Turns out that's the only thing you can really train for when you're in a walking boot. But other than that, he's going to save everything. Expectation is he'll be fully ready to go by pro day.
1: So a couple of fractures in the foot. Sounds pretty routine or basic. I mean, certainly not what you want. Would that be a red flag for you as a GM? Any any concern there with it? I mean, we saw the Seahawks move up and draft Daryl Taylor, who had an injury and didn't even play his rookie year. Now, I don't know if they were preparing for that idea, but didn't even step on the field. So I wonder if, the, you know, this is the guy that, again, is, is most closely or most commonly attached to them in all these mock drafts. Do you think there would be any hesitation with that, or I suppose you'd have to get deep into the medicals and look at x-rays and talk to your team doctors? Yeah, and
0: all I, I think there's definitely a, a red flag there, but you trust your, your staff, you know, because uh, I just remember when I went to the combine, I'm not sure if it's still the same way, uh, but everybody had their team doctor there. And, you know, and I had... I had doctors telling me that they didn't think I could play in the NFL. At the combine they were saying that? Yeah. And the reason why was because I had a dislocated knee and, like, you know. That'd be so deflating. When you were hearing them say that, what were you, were you just like, oh, no. Well, I just, you know, I saw them shaking their head and things like that. Nobody said, you can't play. But it just gave me more of a chip on my shoulder, basically. So Didn't you say they were all yanking on your leg and, like, well, and that's my excuse for running like a 47440 cuz I was running like in the 46s and then but I did it was sw- swollen up but everybody wanted to see it. So, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, and then the Seahawks also they'll well, every team does this. They'll bring guys in for physicals and things like that. It's it's a little bit, you know, I was looking at his game log and he didn't play a game past November 12th. The last game that he played his senior year was uh, versus Kansas. Is um, so that when he got hurt? November, uh, yeah, in November 12th, I'm assuming, you know, because he only played in 10 games. Uh, the year b- before that, uh, he played in 13 games, so maybe it's not a big deal. I had that uh, Liz Frank injury going into my free agency year, and they didn't make too big of a deal out of that. foot. The foot heals pretty quickly, and it wasn't really that big of a deal. So you're going to have to check on that. You know, you, you brought up... Um, Uh, Daryl Taylor, Mm -hmm. they really insist that that was because of the pandemic. Like a lot of the doctors that I've heard from was because he didn't, I think the thing was with him, he worked too hard because they didn't bring him in. They didn't bring any of the kids in and get him, they didn't bring him in and get him on like a a schedule of how to rehab. So, you know, maybe I think the word was that he overworked that Mm -hmm. And, you know, got too sore and then it went backwards and then all of a sudden, you know, he couldn't play. But um, that's just, you know, kind of one of those, I think, side effects of, of the pandemic. But I don't know, man, that the foot is not a huge deal, but it definitely does make you make you wonder. I think my first thing is, okay. let's look at his, you know, as far as his health goes, if you look at his has it been a problem? It looks to me like his junior year they played, he played 13 games, but the years before it was like five games, seven games, and then his senior year he played 10 games. So, you know, remember when Rashad Penny, we we always used to talk about that, about his health and how, you know, problematic it was. And if you go back and look at San Diego State, I think like his freshman year he missed one game.
1: Yeah, he was durable all through college and... That seems to be the case wasn't that didn't we look at Jamal Adams too even even Jamal yes. Adams his first his every basically every year until he came to Seattle i think he'd only missed like 3 or 4 games in in total with the jets so yeah. you didn't have that history with it. it's just it's weird when it crops up and some guys it becomes more problematic or more uh frequent other guys you just i don't know i don't like do you remember what cj Sice's college career was like was he a guy that was injured in college i can't remember no. But just another guy we looked at, loved yeah. him, couldn't have been a nicer guy. Same like Rashad Penny is such a nice guy when you talk to him, I really like that guy. Right. And you root for him, but you 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 become sort of jaded. You be like when they get hurt, like when he got hurt this last year, you're kinda of like, Yeah, that sounds about right. You know, and you hate to be yeah. callous about it, he's a good guy and it's terrible, but it's you're so used to hearing it, it's sort of like Mitch Hanniger. You're just used to hearing them being in a situation where they're dealing with an injury.
0: Yeah, so CJ played in nine games his sophomore year, didn't play his freshman year, and then 13 games his junior year and 10 games his senior year. So it looks like he missed a, a few his senior year. But, yeah, it's that's frustrating when especially – I mean, I always say this about myself. I would not have drafted me. Right. Because when I got to Stanford, I broke my foot, and then, you know, I had broken fingers, and then I screwed up my, my – uh, my ring finger, and then I had a shoulder surgery, and then I had the big knee thing i mean you're just like that guy just the way he plays he's going to get hurt and there yeah. it was Pete was asked about that I thought a couple of years ago, and he he gave an answer i don't remember exactly what he said, but it was something to do with like there are some guys just the way they move. And the way their awareness around them, And I think that's my problem <laughs> is the awareness, Bob. You lack awareness. That's why I <laughs> knock things down all the time. But no, like physically or spatially, you know, you just some some players are just different that way. Remember Bill Romanowski? Oh yeah, that dude never missed a game. He was a linebacker, big physical dude. So yeah, it's just uh, that that part of it is very much a mystery, and it's something that always bothers me because you know, look at look at uh, you know. Uh, Julio Rodriguez, we're we're all hyped up for him, and you know what if God forbid he he gets injured, it's just so discouraging. It's something I I do worry about a lot because it's just a, it's a shame. And this Tyree Wilson kid. Yeah, I mean, he's a really amazing talent. And you're right, I think of almost every mock draft, at least in the beginning, yeah. they had the Seahawks taking him as an edge rusher.
1: Yeah, all, it seems basically everyone that doesn't have trades, like some mock drafts, they'll do trades. Like, I've, I've got the Colts trading up with the Bears, and they'll do that. But other ones, just based on the order, here's here's how I see it going. He's the one that's by far and away most commonly associated with the Seahawks. Yeah. So it'll it'll be... I mean, his pro day becomes that much bigger. We'll see what he does here if he does the bench press or if he does some of the other thing. I'm sure they'll do the measurable you know, height and weight or whatever, perhaps. But uh yeah, it it's the interview, I mean, he could still get a lot done actually. You know, yeah, he's not running shuttle drills out there in the forty and all that stuff, but he could do the bench press, he can have the interviews, which at this point, you know, the way the combine has shifted and yeah, those those things are, are beneficial for other players, but I think those that have that sort of uh, spotlight on him and expected to be a top five, top ten pick. The game tape tells the story, and it's more about, all right, is this guy in shape, and what kind of person is he? The, the interview is the bigger deal. His yeah. pro day will still be a big deal, but to me that's just icing on the cake for somebody in that in that spot versus the interview. That's Let's see what kind of personality, who are we bringing into this organization.
0: Yeah, and the only thing that I've, I've said uh, time and time again about the Combine as far as the physical competition goes, whether it's the broad jump, whatever, how do you how do you uh, respond when you're when you're around competitors yeah you know yeah. I, I think that's 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 valuable uh but again i feel like also a lot of times you see what you want to see like, you know, what do you want to see from this guy? Oh, I want to see him, you know, do a, this and that. And they're like, oh, he did it. All right, there we go. But I don't I don't think that they fall for that anymore. For the most part, it's about, like you said, the interview.
1: All right, coming up, it is Wednesday, so we'll do what if Wednesday. The question is, and this is, it takes on a different level of significance based on the news, what if Jalen Carter is still available for the Seahawks at number 5? We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710.
2: What? 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 It's time for What If Wednesday. Coach would have put me in fourth quarter. we have been state champions, no doubt. Wyman and Bob rewrite the scripts of major moves and moments in sports every Wednesday afternoon. Now step
0: into an alternative reality with Wyman and Bob. It is What If
1: Wednesday presented by Mazda of Everett. We play the hypothetical. We always put it at this time because of the late, great John Clayton's reluctance to engage in Hypotheticals with us. He just he couldn't do it. Couldn't bring himself to do it. We say, John, what if this happened? Well, that would never happen. Well, but but John, just (laughs) just play along, John. Hypothetically, let's say this happened. What do you think the result? Well, I, I just it wouldn't happen. So.
0: I don't know. <laughs> that's one of the many things that made Clayton so charming.
1: Was, he just wouldn't engage. Yeah. So we'd always do this before. The, we we miss John. But so that's...
0: We, we do miss him, and we used to give him a hard time about, like, when you were a kid, did you not play make-believe? Yeah. <laughs> I just, it was just so matter-of-fact with him. Well,
1: that, that would never happen. Okay. End of conversation. Uh, But we we do it here. What if, what if, and we we touched on this earlier, Dave, with the news, Jalen Carter in a bit of trouble, obviously, with the car accident that took place on the 15th of January. And we're just now hearing he was involved with it and it cost two people their lives. Uh, Obviously, an incredibly serious situation. What his level of involvement, you know, was he drinking? Was he not? We know that according to the stories, the other person in the other car was drinking double the the legal limit. Their blood alcohol was 0.197 or something. I mean, that's crazy and doing 104 miles an hour. So he was there, left the scene. Obviously, none of this is a good look, to say the very least. Tragic situation. Keeping all of that in mind. And this might not even be that big of a hypothetical. Maybe he drops. Maybe maybe the Bears, if they stay at number one, elect not to go with him. Maybe the the Cardinals, who are at number three, elect not to go with him. Those are the two teams thought to be ahead of the Seahawks <clears throat> that would have an interest in him. So if he's there at five, do the Seahawks draft him? Even with this news in mind.
0: Uh, and I'm making a prediction right now. I I'll say no. You know, just because, and I don't, I, we have no idea, you know, how severe it is, other than the fact that he did leave the scene of the crime. Right. You know, that's probably the is that probably the biggest infraction. I mean, he wasn't caught going at high speeds, but there was an accident, and you know, yeah. there were witnesses that said that. So, but you know, I think I think maybe they um, are would just like to kind of stay away from that kind of stuff. You know, um, I, I think that I, I remember at one point. John Schneider said, you know, we need to get back to, like, our core values of the kind of guys that we, you know, that we used to draft. We're not going to take any risks. We're going to go back to, you know, just the whatever's in John's notebook, right? Yeah. I mean, after every draft, he he writes, and I know he goes back and reads his notebooks about what his feelings were and what he thought about certain, you know, players and how everything turned out and that, and whatnot. So I remember him saying, yeah, we're going to get back to, you know i think it was last year or 2 years ago uh, drafting a certain kind of player that falls in the in the model of you know guys that don't have any any black marks like that as far as off the field stuff goes
1: yeah and it's i think the unknown is is maybe the bigger part of it for some of these guys now a lot of it, they'll they'll make determinations based on conversations with this guy yeah. and, but they'll get more information all right what tell, we're going to find out exactly what happened what was his level of involvement were they Crisscrossing, swerving, where the you know, who knows what what happened. Right. Um, but I, I think the maybe the bigger part of it down the line will be all right. What's he facing? What what's he in line for? Is this a prison situation? Is this a a guy yeah. that that could be behind bars? Is it is he going to be? Uh, is it probation? Is it? I I don't know the legal ramifications that that go with this. I have no idea what he could be facing. So to me, that would be. The other part of it. Hey, let's see what kind of guy he is. What was the level of involvement? What would, what did he do? Was he just a kid who panicked and took off and came back and, you know, not trying to make excuses for him on any level? But these are the questions they're going to figure out. They're going to ask. Mm-hmm. And then the next part of it is what does his legal future look
0: like? Are you one who's inclined to think that if he does get off that it's because he's getting some kind of special treatment? Uh I mean, no, I think that I, there's a pro and con there. The bad side is that if some Joe Blow does this, we don't his, hear about it. his name doesn't end up in the paper.
1: Yeah. he's. I think there, there could be, you know, if it were me doing this and him doing this, there's probably a better chance he gets out of it because of his profile, because of what's at stake for him and the money he can generate for somebody for, or what he can produce for a team. So maybe there are more resources into getting him out of a situation that – I as just your ordinary citizen wouldn't be able to get out of I don't know I'm speculating but he can buy a more expensive lawyer probably he could he could he he's in a position where if he can't some would provide him with based on his earning potential and what he could do for a team on the field yeah that's that's kind of been history isn't it you know with anybody whether it's an athlete an actor a musician somebody gets in trouble they seem to find their way out of it in a way where you feel like well Josh Maggee walking down the street that's not going to happen for them yeah so yeah, I don't I don't know if he if if he gets out of this is it because he's a celebrity who's got all this potential to do something or is it because hey, he, he didn't cause it, he was part of it. Maybe he gets fined, maybe there's probation or there's there's uh, you know, something attached to it that that would happen for anybody. I don't I don't really know the legal system well enough to to know what I would be facing versus what he's Going to be facing. yeah
0: i guess i'm I'm not saying that anything's nefarious is going on, but maybe it is that they have access to you know better legal help and things like that, so which doesn't seem like it should be that way it should be the same for everyone, but it's kind of history isn't it yeah yeah it those is those
1: that have that are in a in that position where they can afford it right you know o j <laughs> yeah it's we've seen it, we've watched it you know where the 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 rich the powerful the famous those with influence. Have a different level of access to, yeah.
0: and apparently the way I talk about it, I'm just worsening the problem. Is that I right? Yeah, I'm just letting people go off willy-nilly just because they're athletes and whatnot. Oh, oh, yeah. But uh, did you say it was no big deal? Is that what it was? Uh, I don't yeah. remember. I, I, somehow, I have some kind of power to like influence other people. But no, I, I think also the you know, and then the other thing is as far as the rate of these kinds of things happening versus normal society. Yeah. What, what those numbers are, I would say that it's maybe lower just because these guys are so focused on what they, you know, they have to be careful. Look, you know, like I said in the very beginning, this happened at like one forty-five a.m., Chuck Knox constantly was preaching that. About, you know, nothing good happens after midnight. You know, don't throw the ball so far over the fence you can't go get it the next day. You know, all (laughs) of these things Yeah, that he had about, you know, just preaching that, like, you know, you've got to be home in bed and nothing good happens late at night. So that's, you know, I think you get a fair amount of that in the NFL. And plus, these guys know there's a lot at stake.
1: Yeah, it's. I think it's a, probably a mixture of both. I know people feel like, oh, these kids are entitled and they feel like they can get away with everything. And in some cases, that's absolutely true mm. because they've been told and, and treated differently since they were in junior high. And they, somebody saw they were a special talent. So, yeah, maybe they did get away with things and they, they do become entitled. That's not true of every kid, certainly. Right. Um, and then this one's it's going to be, it'll be an interesting test just to see what how GMs and other teams respond to this and if if they're going to receive blowback for drafting this guy is he going to be deemed a bad guy once more details come out how come out how is he going to be viewed it's it's a, it's a terrible situation um and and how he's going to be handled moving forward is going to be very very interesting all right coming up it's mock draft season and we've got a lot of them to dive into plus one crazy prediction for the Seahawks we'll let you know what that's about coming up with Wyman and Bob this is Seattle Sports on 710